Toyota Trucks and Trails is produced in part by DRB and KGB Media. You are listening to the number one Toyota truck and SUV podcast, Toyota Trucks and Trails, with discussions from restorations to racing, interviews with folks from all over the Toyota community, product and event reviews, and much more. We are sure to offer something for you. So sit back and enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Toyota Trucks and Trails podcast, episode 53. I am your host, Jason Hoffman. With me, as always, dealing with some horrible weather in the Northeast is Rich LaRusso, or your co-host, Rich LaRusso. How you doing, Rich? Uh, great. A little, little bit, a uh, little buried, but we're okay. Try, trying to, trying to dig out from, uh, the, 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 the 15th time you guys have been nailed with a huge snowstorm this year. Oh yeah. The, the last couple of weeks too have been bad with storms in general, but we got, uh, so any, somewhere between 18 and 21 inches of snow last night. And, uh, this morning I got up with my shovel and started clearing a path to the vehicles and, and, uh, Got about half of one vehicle brushed off, and then the coffee was ready, and and motivation sank to an all time low. And I haven't I haven't <laughs> gone back out there to finish cleaning them off, and now I'm in here recording a podcast. So that snow is just going to have to sit and be snow for a little longer. I, I I imagine it's pretty hard to get motivated to do that when you know, even though you get your vehicle cleaned off, that that it's still going to be a struggle to uh, to to get anywhere. So. No, come on now. We we drive Toyotas. This is a Toyota household. Well, 21, in, 21 inches of snow isn't that bad. Um, it, it's um, it's actually a ton of fun to drive in. Um, but you you definitely uh, can. I've 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 uh, high centered a vehicle on snow in the middle of a field before, which is fun. So it, it's completely possible to do. Just for all our listeners who don't get a lot of snow, yes, you can do that. You can pack it down to the point where you will high center. Yeah, growing. <clears throat> pardon me. Growing up in the Midwest, some of my my early wheeling memories involve uh, involve Midwest snowstorms. So probably not as uh, probably not as epic as what you're dealing with at the moment, but uh, definitely heavy snowfall anyway so uh. yeah i mean i make it sound like it's really so bad but our, our friends in the northwest and and probably some of the the northern midwest uh and and colorado and you know the mountains and stuff i i think they probably get more snow than we do uh and our friends in maine i mean for them to see nine 10, 11 feet of snow is, is not uncommon. So, uh, I make it sound bad, but honestly, it's really not so bad. It, it's very inconvenient. Um, just to have to, I, I had the perfect opportunity to pull the vehicles into the garage. And what happened was I got a little busy and put it off and didn't realize it started snowing. So the vehicles got some snow on them. And once they have snow on them and you pull them in the, the garage, it just makes a mess because it melts. And, you know, so, so I said, well, I'll just deal with it. And I, I am just swimming in the regret <laughs> of that decision. <laughs> well, it's, uh, we're, we're moving inching closer to, to, uh, to spring and summer so uh like we were saying before we before we started recording hopefully you guys will catch a break up that way fairly soon and and start getting some uh more than more than one day you know every every two weeks that are are uh, a bearable weather day yeah yeah we're we're certainly looking forward to 
to this, you know, uh, not actually this, this winter hasn't been so bad with snow, but it's been bad with, with cold weather. So we're just looking forward to the temperatures coming up. And I think we all got that teaser a couple of weeks ago, right? Where we were running around outside with shorts and short sleeve shirts on and stuff like that. So that, that, that teaser probably did more harm than good. I, 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 I agree. We, we had a little bit of that, uh, this, this past weekend, uh, down in in the southeast it was it was a short sleeve day there for for a day or two and then it it turned off uh i won't say bitter cold because we don't get bitter cold but it for us it was it was cold anyway and uh so yeah we've been we've been dealing with that same kind of stuff but uh looking looking forward to as with you i'm sure and, and the rest of our listeners looking forward to spring getting here and and things drying out a little bit and and uh the fun time, fun fun part of the year starting. That is, if you don't enjoy winter, and I'm one of those people that does, doesn't enjoy winter. So, yeah, well, you know, the thing, I it, it, it's funny you say enjoy winter because I, I I sound I probably sound crazy if I say I enjoy winter, but but it you know winter winter's cool, but you know sometimes when winter runs a little long <laughs> you know that's the thing right it's a commitment you can say you like winter and and you like living in an area where you have winters but then once it drags out you know six months then you're like okay that's enough enough you know yeah. can we have another season now please? right right a little so. bit a little bit a little bit goes a long way yeah exactly exactly um the other the other thing is is all the snow you know melts makes water duh, you know but um that makes mud so you know we're looking looking forward to some uh soft soil <laughs> this year and i i i don't think that's you know local to just us i think uh folks all over the country will will have a muddier season in general well it uh It'll all clear up, and we'll 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 all look back at it this summer. You know, when it's blistering hot outside, and uh, complain about how hot it is. So, we, <laughs> we we as a human race are are you know kind of uh, kind of funny that way. We just can't can't seem to be can't seem to be happy unless it's just exactly tempered exactly the way we want it. So. Well, yeah. And, and our summers up here are like, uh, probably like your spring, you know, if we see 90, hundred degrees, like that's like, that's a heat wave, you know? And I know our friends in Texas are probably laughing at that, you know, from their, from their air conditioned, you know, homes and vehicles when it's uh, 110 outside and, you know, they, they get some, some high temps there and in the Southwest and stuff. So we, we don't, we don't see stuff like that. In fact, this is a great place to come in the summer because, you know, if it's 80 and maybe a little humid. You know, it's it's pretty comfortable for most people. Yeah, I, I would have to do a lot of moving throughout, throughout the year to stay comfortable temperature wise. I, yeah. You know, with 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 my job, I spend quite a bit of time in Southern California and, and Southern Arizona and that kind of stuff this time of year. And, and I always love it down there this time of year. But when you go through there and you know, July and August, and you look at the thermometer and it's 117 degrees and 
that's hot. You know, yeah. everybody yeah. says, oh, it's a dry heat. I don't care if it's a dry heat or not. <laughs> it's still 117 <laughs> degrees is hot. You you yeah. step outside, you know, it's hot. So, uh, I mean, low, low humidity does make a difference. Oh, it makes a world of but, difference. But I yes. think once once you're over like 110 and you're coming up on 120, all of that goes out the window. Right. And it's just hot and miserable. Right. Yep. Well, before our, our listeners start thinking that we, we have changed formats here uh, and became the uh, let's talk about weather forecast. Have you had anything going on Toyota related? <laughs> no, no. I I mean, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, doing some some snow wheeling. Uh, well, I don't want to say snow wheeling, but uh, just fooling around in the snow uh, later today. So maybe I'll throw some pictures up of that. Cool. Cool. Well, I. uh I've actually been getting some some more work done. I'm I'm on one hand I'm super excited and on the other hand I'm I'm frustrated with uh with a few things, but I I managed the last time I was home to uh actually begin the process of getting my uh my crawl box installed in the Forerunner. So that uh that's coming coming along not as uh not as quickly as I would like for it to, but it's it's moving along anyway. Yeah, I, I think everybody's pretty excited about uh, about this, and and you've posted a few pictures um, on your on, on. Did you post them on the podcast page? I, Sorry, I, did, if I, I, I did not. I think I just shared them on my my personal page. On your personal, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but um, the uh, I, I mean, it is pretty. You know, it's got that new new paint job and stuff, and. Uh, it looks like you guys uh, hammered out a fair amount of work in 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 what was it about half a day you worked right? Uh, yeah, the bulk of it took us about a half a day, and uh, I spent another day, you know full day just kind of piddling with with stuff and didn't uh, gained a little bit, but not a not a lot. But um, did did you rabbit hole? Did you you know get under there and be like, oh, I got to fix this, and you know go do something else it, while you were there? No, I've I've actually managed to to stay away from that. It's more trying to figure out how uh, how to make everything you know all the alterations that need done with the crawl box uh, come out the way that I want them to. Uh, you know, as far as having to cut another hole in the floorboard for another shifter and and things along that line which i you know i obviously i knew all that was going to have to be done going into it but you can't really you can plan for it in your head and then you know when reality comes things don't always work the way that you had anticipated them them going and that kind of stuff so isn't that the truth um so you you got to cut another uh, i'm trying to think of all the stuff involved with a crawl box that i know and i've never i've never done it so i'm you know not speaking as an authority for sure but um so you've had to cut another hole in the floorboard not a big one i take it but uh, no no just big enough for the uh for the transfer case shifter to to poke up through the floor right and is that a, a linkage or a cable uh it's no it drops straight into the straight into the transfer case oh cool cool um so do you have to um change the drive shaft lengths uh yes and that is the the biggest hang-up that i'm dealing with right now the the guy that was helping me i borrowed his shop because he's got a two-post lift and and when you're working underneath a vehicle you know getting it up off the ground is makes a world of difference so uh the the gentleman shop that i'm using he he has built 
several drive shafts in the past. He, you know, the drive shafts and in, in his his rigs, he's built himself and he's built them for other people and that kind of stuff. So the plan was to to have him build my drive shafts for me, and we got to the point where it was it was time to start working on drive shafts and and got uh got the rear drive shaft cut apart and got it cut down to size and come to find out that uh toyota had changed the uh the tube diameter and you still use the a the the standard uh standard flanges and that kind of stuff but they'd changed the tube diameter and changed how they they construct a drive shaft and it made it impossible for us to uh, to do this by hand and and get it with any kind of alignment at all. When uh, when you're dealing with something that rotates as fast as a drive shaft does, you want it to be relatively true. Otherwise, it's going to vibrate and and you know it, it's just not not a good thing. So that kind of it kind of brought things to a screeching halt. I had to load stuff up and take it to a to an actual drive shaft shop in in Nashville and drop it off with them and and uh, even that guy was kind of scratching his head a little bit on exactly how he's going to go about reassembling reassembling my drive shaft and and get it uh, get it trued out and everything and and make it work so the the way that it needs to so so when you say they changed the tube diameter like how is that i guess i'm not making the connection and maybe some of our listeners aren't either how is the uh, tube diameter gonna affect affect you um, in, in this particular instance in in mo- when most drive shafts are manufactured the tube the the flange fits really tight inside the tube mm-hmm. and so when you when you go to shorten a, a drive shaft or alter the length of a drive shaft by hand if you are really careful you can cut the cut the weld on the flange and and knock the flange out and, which is bad <laughs> well in, in this case it's necessary but you, you you can you can remove that part of it then cut the tube down and the the tube normally fits over the flange tight enough that you actually have to keep the tube and then slide the flange back in and as it cools down it kind of self-aligns just because it's such a such a tight fit and then weld it back in place and and it may be a little bit off, but for the most part, it is it is a relatively true fit. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, with the drive shafts in my Forerunner, they used the same size flange, but like I said, they used a slightly larger tube. And evidently, they have uh, in the manufacturing process of the uh, of the drive shaft, they have some method of clamping that tube down uh, around the. Uh, around the flange and then welding it and i would i would assume that it speeds up the manufacturing process if i had to had to guess but uh it's not something it's something that the uh the average person would have the ability to to do it right you know it's it's a mass production theory for for whatever reason i don't know exactly why they would do it that way but uh uh the uh the fine gentleman at the drive shaft shop was was explaining this to me and kind of kind of showing me how uh, on on the other end of the drive shaft that we didn't didn't cut down where it's where it's uh, tapered down at and that kind of stuff and if you're not look if you're not looking for it to the naked eye you can't even see it but once he started pointing it out it it became very clear what uh, what the issue was so 
Now, is that uh, and I'm not talking actual numbers because I, I know that's considered uh, bad taste, but is it an expensive proposition to get drive shaft shortened or lengthened? Um, it, it's not uh, in the big scope of things. No, it's not a, a huge expense, um, but it it, it is a, uh, it costs. Um, it's, it's an expense nonetheless. Yes. Uh, those guys special specialize in what they do. And uh, they they have a knowledge base of, of how to make things work and that kind of stuff that uh, the average person may may not. And they definitely have the ability to do things that the average person doesn't have the ability to do. So they they charge for that and, and just justifiably so. N- not just the tools, but the knowledge on how okay. and experience on how to use those exactly, tools. exactly. Yeah, which is I, I think that's under understated by a lot of people. Um, you know, for for a lot of different things on on a vehicle, it's like, well, I could do it myself cheaper, but you know, <laughs> um, there's 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 certain things that you know that I've I've paid to have done like. Uh, a torque converter replacement, you know, because that's, I've done it myself before and it didn't last very long. And now I can't attribute, no, I don't know if that was attributed to my, my doing or not, but the, I know that when I, when I had it done the second time, it, uh, it, it's still going. So yeah, sometimes you're better off just paying, paying the professionals. They, they know what they're doing and, and, uh, Hey, you know, Sometimes you have to do a job, you know, once just to convince yourself enough how much that job sucks right. to be convinced to right. pay exactly. someone else to do exactly. it. Exactly, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, moving along with this, with this project, I, 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 I'm by no means uh, bashing Marlon Crawler in, in saying this, but I, I do have to say that, that on the, the customer service side for Marlon has been, been fantastic. Um, I, I was a little let down that, 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 uh, they, in the stuff that they sent with this, with this crawl box was a, was a bag of, uh, of, uh, of hardware mounting hardware. And that guy couldn't think of the word I was looking for. And, uh, you know, as, as we were assembling this at one point where we ran into a situation where we had to assemble it and disassemble it three or four times. And uh, th- then I had to reach out to a to a friend of the show here, uh, shout out Dylan again, to to ask him what the deal was, and and come to find out that they had they had sent us a bag of just bolts, and there were a couple oh. of places that <laughs> that we needed studs instead of bolts, and they didn't include those in the in the kit, and it's not one of those things of, well, a stud makes it easier. It's one of those things of, you have to use a stud instead of a bolt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, they weren't included in the kit. Um, we, we ran into an issue mounting stuff back up to the transmission using the factory hardware because their, uh, their machined adapter is not as thick as the, the flange on the original transfer case. And, uh, some of the bolts were too long and bottomed out and, different different things along those lines and and again marlin builds an awesome product their customer service has been amazing but i i wish that they would have have addressed that stuff yeah i mean unless mine mine is some kind of rare animal that that's that's the only time that that's that's happened but it was it was kind of frustrating to uh to have to stop every third step of the process and and kind of figure out a a workaround to uh to get things back together but how did you address the studs issue? Uh, as it turned out, once again, uh, 
the the gentleman's shop that I was borrowing um, uh, come in and save the day. He he has a selection of nuts and bolts and spare parts that would would rival anyone. And he uh, he started digging through stuff and and figured out that a uh, I want to say it is a hub flange stud off of a uh, a forty series or a mini truck or or something like that. He told me what they were, but he he dug around and he found four of these four of these studs and uh, they managed. How many to, did you need? Two only two. Only, we only <laughs> needed two, but he found four of them. So uh, they they ended up being exactly what we needed. They worked. Uh, work perfectly but i i mean that's that's <clears throat> pardon me that's one of those one of those situations we were working on this on a sunday afternoon and uh had he not had those that would have brought us to a screeching halt right <clears throat> pardon me again uh right there you know because it, it, we were in a small town in the middle of nowhere in the middle of tennessee uh there's nowhere to get that kind of stuff on a on a sunday afternoon so it was uh now again, I'm not not bashing Marlin by by any stretch, folks. Please don't please don't think that. Uh, I just uh, I wish they would have better done a done a better job of addressing that. So, you know, um, and again, I, I'm not bashing Marlin either. You know, and and I wasn't there, and, and you know, I, I understand how things go with smaller companies. Sometimes, you know, the, these these things happen. Um, but I, I think that's probably um, one complaint I think most people have about anything they get in the aftermarket off-road community is, um, you know, either they didn't get enough bolts or, you know, spare bolts weren't sh- uh, shipped with it because people lose lose stuff. I mean, we've all had that one nut that is still somewhere in our truck and we have no idea where <laughs> and, and, and things like that. But I, I think that's, you know, a, a complaint a lot of people have with, with off-road um, aftermarket parts is, you know, they just didn't get something or they got the wrong something and, and it's a huge, huge pain in the butt. I would say nine out of 10 come through. Okay though. And uh, I, I also think that a lot of these, um, Aftermarket aftermarket companies assume assume that people are more technically uh, savvy than they really are, <laughs> and uh, so people don't. Some people get really lost when they're missing a bowl, and you know, for you and I, it's like, well, it's an inconvenient trip to the hardware store, but we know what we've got to do, you know. And uh, you know, I think we probably own thread gauge. You probably own a thread gauge. I know I do. Uh, and if a schmo like me owns a thread gauge, then I would think that you know more people have them lying around in their toolboxes. Yeah it it's not a uh, it's not a deal breaker by any stretch. Just like you said, just a just an inconvenience. And uh, I mean, we worked through it. Thankfully, uh, more more times through this this. This process, than than a lot of others, I was really glad that I was at somebody else's shop that was, uh, I wouldn't say more more equipped than mine, but definitely had more spare parts laying around than I do. So, (laughs) how did you deal with the bottom out bolts? Did you cut the bolt or did you stack the washers? Uh, Actually, again, we just uh, we we hit up Rogers uh, spare parts spare spare parts found the right right length bolts. So yeah, and and Toyota loves their fine thread, don't they? 
uh, luckily, you know, uh, Roger is a huge Toyota nut. So uh, we were using factory Toyota stuff and, and didn't uh, didn't have to run into that issue of, you know, Toyota's 300 different thread pitches that they find necessary to use for every different thing. Yeah. Yeah. I know on, on most of the stuff I run into, um, I'll find the right bolt size, but the thread pitch will be just no way near, nowhere near. They, so it likes that uh, 125 fine thread for everything. And you go in the big box hardware stores and it's always 1.5 or 1.75. You know, they, they don't have the, the finer threads. So, um, I've always had good luck with true values. They have always had a, a decent bolt selection and uh, especially for metric. But um the big box stores that you know are on every block it it seems like it's it's just really a pain when that's what you have to resort to well and the drawback to uh using a combination of of what i refer to as as automotive bolts and hardware store bolts is and i'm sure you've noticed this too rich they don't uh they don't use the same wrench size for, no, you know, no. Oh boy, that you know, is an yes. M, an M8 automotive is is a ten millimeter wrench. Yeah. You know, yeah. an M8 hardware store bolt I think is a eleven millimeter, 11 millimeter some odd some oddball thing. Thirteen you know? millimeter, right? And uh, that that gets frustrating as well too. So yeah, yeah. And I I had uh, um, had to cut off a bolt on one of my uh, upper links. I, I think it was last year at some point, you know, um, it wouldn't tighten anymore. So I, I cut the bolt off and then I realized, crap, I don't have another bolt. So, I, yeah, I went to get another bolt. And I think that it happened on one of the lower links a couple of years ago. So needless to say, when, um, you know, before the winter hit, I was I was under there making sure the links are tight because it's a lesson I've learned. And I had to go under there with like six different wrenches. <laughs> and I said, all right, this is a project for the spring. I'm I'm over this. I want to go under here with two wrenches and do the whole job, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I, that, but that's what happens. You end up taking the entire set of wrenches under the truck with you <laughs> just we, to tighten, you know, eight bolts. We, we had a listener write in. Um, about this and and this is something i didn't think of till just now but we had a listener write in and, and ask us to uh to do a show on things to to pay attention to and and look for it at salvage yards and that kind of stuff um folks salvage yards charge literally nothing for nuts and bolts um w when you go to a salvage yard and pull parts and that kind of stuff take home the nuts and bolts you may not need them for the, the project that you're working on, but uh, at the very least, throw them in a coffee can. And uh, uh, that, that way you'll have, you know, like Rich and I just said, the, the, the wrench size will be the same. The chances of the, the, the thread pitch being the same. Um, it, it's a good idea for, for everybody to, uh, to have a, uh, a bucket full of, of spare nuts and bolts. I, I actually carry a, a, a pretty good size jar of nuts and bolts in the forerunner uh just for for trail spares um and, and i have had to hit that uh hit that stash up several times on the trail to not just to get myself back together but to to help somebody else get get something bolted back in place so uh and, and going to the hardware store to buy nuts and bolts or they they think they're worth their their weight in gold they're super expensive 
to uh, yeah. to buy new. Yeah. So when uh, and and the jump between you know a a zinc co- coated bolt and stainless steel is is pretty significant. And it it doesn't really show on like the smaller sizes when you're in like the M6 M8 range but then once you jump up to m12 and some of the larger bolt sizes you know uh then you see a huge price jump you know you, you're paying three dollars four dollars five dollars a bolt sometimes uh you, you know if you want stainless which or or, or um M, m10 is the automotive or 10 what is the uh the automotive grade of metric is like uh 10.5 right something like that yep yeah and which is equivalent to m8 uh grade eight i keep saying m8 but i mean grade eight uh automotive so it's it's one of those uh things and i think also that's another thing we should talk on one day or maybe we'll just briefly touch on it now is that uh yeah sae grade eight is metric grade 10.5 a lot of people don't realize this and they'll get metric grade eight um and actually i i haven't ever run into it myself, but I've seen other people do it. They say, well, this is a grade eight bolt. It's like, well, no, it's metric eight. So something, something to keep in mind. Definitely. And, and for folks that don't understand what we're, what we're talking about, the, 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 the grade of a bolt, like for instance, an, an SAE grade eight bolt is um, without getting into, to metallurgy and, and, that kind of For, stuff. forging and right. hardness and, it's and all it's that. the strength the the strength of a bolt and uh the for high stress situations and that kind of stuff you want to use a a grade eight or equivalent bolt uh don't don't just go to uh don't just go to the hardware store and buy the uh the standard grade five they aren't they're not designed for that yeah, especially when you're relying on sheer strength for something. So this is your link bolts and and uh, things like that. Now you don't often see nuts in in grade eight because nuts aren't usually you know something that they do have grade eight nuts and grade eight washers and grade eight lock washers. All that stuff is made, and you should always use it if you're using a grade eight bolt. You should use a grade eight nut, um, but it it isn't as critical with the nuts as it is you know with the bolts especially when you're relying on sheer strength when, right when a bolt is you know using sheer strength as, as opposed to uh you know the pulling strength um you know the the nuts generally just tend to hold things on so so it's not as critical and and um now do i recommend anyone does that no but you know i i try and keep it all matched together uh although it can be hard to harder to find grade eight washers have you ever noticed that grade eight washers seem to be like a rare commodity yeah my my local hardware store their selection of of nuts and bolts has diminished to um nearly nothing it uh it's pretty rough for me when i need to especially especially if it's some oddball size um it uh it's gotten gotten to be a real pain in the tail to uh to come up with what i need yeah yeah and you probably have to you probably end up driving further to get to a a good place right you know that has has stuff we we have a specialty place and um there's an an older woman running running it um and and it's it's kind of it's about 45 minutes away so you know when when you're in a when you're in a pickle it's kind of a pain in the but to drive 45 minutes each way to go, you know, just for this little nut and bolt. 
But um, I'll walk in there and I'll plop a bolt down on the counter and she'll be like, oh, yep, that's M8 by 125, you know, grade 10.5. And she'll run to the shelf and she knows how long it is. She, she just doesn't even have to measure anything. She just looks at it and knows what size it is. And she <laughs> says, how many you need? And and then you're out the door. It's it's pretty cool if you have a place like that uh, in your in your hood. And you might have one and not realize it. Um, but if there is a fastener company... Uh, I think Fastenal is just about everywhere now, aren't they? Yeah, they they've expanded out quite a bit for sure. Yeah, Fastenal is a, is a pretty good resource. Um, Granger, um, well, you need a, don't you need a business account to to shop at Granger? The Not last, online, the but last to walk I, in the door. Yeah, right? the last I checked to to buy from them, you have to have a tax number. So yeah, but I've always had pretty good luck finding stuff at Granger uh, using using my my friend's <laughs> business account. <laughs> But anyway, that uh, that's what I've had going on anyway. So Boy, we we went down the rabbit hole. Uh, we we balls, did, but we? I think we covered some important stuff. So yeah, that's good um, info. And you know, especially with more and more people getting into this hobby, uh, more and more people are uh, doing the right thing and, and learning how to maintain and, and keep their stuff going. And also, um, you know, we've talked about on the podcast before the benefit of doing your own work is when something breaks. Well. When something breaks, it's usually your fault because of the work you did. <laughs> but <laughs> it's also that when if you're out on the trail and something happens, you, you know what to do and you have some experience working with it. And, you know, you're not walking into a uh, mechanic shop in the middle of nowhere, you know, and, and they're looking at you like your lunch uh, because they know you don't know what you're doing. So it's 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 good to have, gain this experience uh, of working on your own stuff. Which uh, yeah, I think you've been beating on stuff with a wrench for for several years now, Jason. Right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's sometimes more playing it probably your whole life. So, sometimes more by necessity than desire, but uh, yeah, it uh, just uh, just been a part of life, I guess. Yeah. 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 And, and I was raised, you know, uh, in a blue collar environment where, you know, I, I was learning about nut and bolt sizes and stuff like that from a pretty young age. So I, I've got that that background is real helpful, but not everybody has that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, it's just good, good stuff to get into when when you're getting into the four by four world, because you're you're in a sport or hobby where things break and, and it's not because something is, is bad. It's just because of the nature of what you're doing. And it's, it's always better to learn how to do this stuff when you're in your driveway, um, on a nice firm surface with everything that you need at hand to, uh, to learn how to do it than on a trail in the woods, you know, off camber on a hill, uh, trying to, uh, trying to figure out how to shore your vehicle up so you can can repair stuff and and adding that stress to the situation so yeah yeah. and you can repair it much faster for sure right but uh like i said that that's all i've had had going on and and uh not uh hopefully the next time next time i get home everything will be in line and i'll be able to get this thing wrapped up and and uh give a full report on on how much i love love my crawl box <clears throat> yeah, I, I sadly have nothing uh, going on in my world. It's it's been more shoveling than. <laughs> 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 
Well, uh, we, we've got kind of a, uh, we decided we were just going to, uh, pick a topic this, this, uh, this episode and, and kind of focus our main topic on that instead of a, instead of an interview or anything. So you want to, want to go ahead and get into that, Rich? Um, yeah, let's, let's, let's dive in. Now, I think you've done the, uh, more amount of research, uh, on it. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just, you know, I think we'll start off because you, you'll have the early, early in cruisers covered and I'll have the later ones. But uh, what we're going to talk about are brake upgrades. It's it's something that's, um, you know, been been asked of us a few times and we see a lot of people talking about it online. Um, different ways of upgrading brakes, everything from uh, drum to disc conversion all the way up to upgrading rotors, pads, calipers. Uh, and all the associated uh, quirks that can, you know, and, and pitfalls that can come with it. And, and most of what we're going to focus on is using factory Toyota parts to do this kind of stuff. Um, not just uh, not just going to your, to your favorite parts catalog and, and uh, you know, buying parts, but uh, stuff that you can, you can go to a salvage yard and, and you know, uh, a lot of this stuff can be, can be picked up, uh, be picked up that way or or you know uh, somebody's parting out a vehicle and that kind of stuff things that you can can uh, grab that a lot of people don't see as having any any value to it but uh, if you if you know what you're looking for it's it you you can definitely help yourself out absolutely and oftentimes these these kind of upgrades can be done inexpensively uh, if if you have the homework done and, and you, you know what you're doing uh, going into these things, you'd be surprised that you, you can actually find uh, brake parts pretty cheap, especially at the big box auto, auto parts stores where they're always offering online coupons and rewards programs and stuff, stuff like that. I mean, um, calipers, especially with a... Uh, with a core charge can have really come down in price. Now, is the quality as good as OEM? I'm always going to say no. I, I think I have, I think the the OEM Toyota parts. I and I know Jason probably agrees. OEM Toyota parts are pretty pretty solid stuff. But um, you know, there's there's some remands out there that are are okay, um, and we can't break it down into brands and things like that just because we have. Who has experience with all the different brands of remand calipers, you know? Um, so that's something you would have to hit up Google for and see what people are saying. You know, um, some people will say, you know, CarQuest is good or Napa is good. And then they'll say, well, Napa is just, you know, uh, a, a rebadged CarQuest. And, you know, there's there's all kinds of info out there. And and it can be a, a forest of, of brands to sort through. So you're on your own with the homework there. We, we can't say one brand is good for another because the other thing that comes into play is, you know, this brand may make a good caliper for this model of vehicle, but not for that model of vehicle. So that's, that's also a, a thing. Most definitely. And, and I also want to throw in there that, that, um, we're, we're throughout this, we'll do the best that we can to, uh, to be as specific as possible. But uh, some of this stuff, um, is, is going to be kind of an overview. So, so please keep that in mind and, and expect to have to do a, a, a little bit of, uh, digging into it a little bit more on your own to get, get all the, uh, the minute details for, for starters, we could do a nine hour episode if we were to list every specific, you know, detail needed. So, uh, 
Yes, things tend to get a little simplified when we get to the newer IFS because Toyota is, has standardized so much. Um, but the bottom line is, yeah, you, you should be ready to fire up a your your internet using device of your choice and get on Google and look up brake upgrade options for your vehicle uh, rather than go off something we tell you here. Do, do your homework um, because ultimately, if you're doing this work, you will also be the person doing the maintenance and when you need to go back and do parts, you're going to need to know what you're talking about. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I think we've addressed it, the, the, the intro part of it enough, Rich. Let's, let's go ahead and start getting into this a, a, a little bit. Um, do, we, do we want to take just a minute and kind of explain the, the basic concept between a hydraulic, uh, behind a, a hydraulic brake system that, that most uh, or, or all of our, our Toyotas have? Um, you want to take that and I'll get into the, uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. You, well, you I, run with that part and I, I have another part I'll throw in laughter. Okay. <laughs> well, I, 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 folks, it, 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 a, a lot of you, I'm sure already know this and, and, and if we're born, yeah, I, I apologize, but for, for some of our listeners that may have never put a lot of thought into to how their brake system works, this, this is going to be a very basic overview of, of a, a basic hydraulic brake system. Um, basically what, what a hydraulic system is, is using fluid pressure to, uh, to move things, uh, from, from one position to another. And our brake system works the same way. Starts out, pardon me, when you put your foot on the, on the brake pedal, you, you move a, a, a rod inside the, the master cylinder, which is on most vehicles mounted to the firewall. And that master cylinder has a, a, a two pistons inside of it that that move brake fluid uh to to all four wheels which each four wheel has a piston of of some sort inside of it and that hydraulic fluid moves that piston which which forces the uh the brake pads or or brake shoes respectively to to uh press out against a a metal surface and create friction which stops a uh stops the vehicle um like I said, that's a, a, a very basic overview, but Rich, do I need to, to add any, any more confusion to that? Um, the only uh, thing I would uh, want to throw in is there are different constructions of brake pads, and you could probably find a, a better explanation, but we're going to give you the brief is that, you know, you've got your lower tier metallic type brake pads and your higher tier ceramic type brake pads. And the type of brake pad used uh, is, is going to have an influence not only on your stopping, but their, how long they last. And, um, you know, obviously you, you've, you've got something rubbing on a spinning piece of metal at high speed. So, you know, the wear on rotors is something to consider with, with pads and, and not to drill down into a million different things, but um, pads are, you know, uh, understanding how the pads work and the different construction materials that that pads are, are created from is is a part of this. I I, I agree. Um, I, I think, and, and I'm not nothing bad about what you said, but I, I think we're getting a little little bit of a, ahead of our ourselves with uh, with moving directly to pads be, well, only because one of the big things throughout this conversation that we're going to be discussing with with brake upgrades um is with the hydraulic part of the system itself 
Um, meaning that I, I had mentioned pistons in the in the master cylinder and and pistons at the at the wheels that that move the the pads. Um, when you increase the size of either one of those, you increase increase the uh, the amount of fluid that can be moved from one one place to another. And by increasing that amount of fluid, you increase the the amount of pressure that can be uh, applied with less effort from your from your foot does that that make sense rich and 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 i didn't mean to walk over what you just said i apologize no no i was i was throwing in an aside and and uh yep that all sounds that you know i um um, we're on the same page yeah the other thing i would throw in is the quality of fluid also is a part of this yeah there there are many many systems uh, within the brake system that that a, a a person needs to uh needs to keep an eye on and brake fluid is one of those things that that many people overlook until they you know take enough of the system apart that they just completely drain it and then refill it fill it and and uh, have to go back through it but uh you know the there there are are hard brake lines and and uh, flexible brake lines and that kind of stuff and those those all play an integral role in this and and we'll discuss some of that stuff as as we go along and and as t- technology has has advanced and uh you know obviously brake systems have have advanced they've gotten uh more complex uh than you know the the brakes on a 40 um are are pretty complex but the basic concepts haven't changed um you know throwing in uh anti-lock brake systems and things like that um you know, haven't changed the fact that there are brake lines, there are brake pads, there's fluid, there's proportioning valves, there's master cylinders, there's there's all these different components. Those are still there even in the newer things. Um, electronic interfaces to 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 those things are yes, they are a different uh, you know added dynamic to this, but but basically uh, brake systems, I don't think they've really had a huge jump in, in, in hydraulic brakes in, in a long time. I, I had nothing, nothing mind blowing, you know, has changed the landscapes for how automotive brakes work in a long time. Right. <clears throat> Pardon me. No, there, it, it's still a, a pretty, pretty basic, um, still the same, but it's not a basic concept, but still the same concepts are basically the same concept. And, and just like you learn about um, how an open, open differential works before you learn how a locked differential works with brakes, it's good to look at these older vehicles because they have the most simple brake systems. And and it is a good way to really uh, get an education on, on how they work if, if you're out for that sort of education. Most people want to, um, you know, bolt on some parts and get better performance. Um, and and that that probably works good for, you know, most of us. Um, but the few of you that really want to dig in and learn how a brake system works and and really fine tune it and get into the nitty gritty of it. Um, it, it, it's definitely good to look at an older brake system because everything is broken down into such simple components, you know, uh, and you'll hear a lot, you know, I have friends that have, uh, older land cruisers and they're like, gosh, the brakes are so simple to work on this, you know, and if something goes wrong, they, they know exactly what it is because there's only three or four different components. Right. Yeah, definitely. Well, let, let's, uh, Rich, let's let's start moving into um, some of the specific things that we wanted to uh, wanted to get into as far as uh, 
as up as far as upgrading components on on uh, different vehicles and that kind of stuff unless there's something else that that you want to get into before we we start moving that direction uh not really um basically i'm i'm going to cover the the newer ifs vehicle brake upgrades which are pretty pretty bolt on because there's you know uh limited tweaks out there okay well let's let's start out with uh one of the one of the favorite uh one of the favorite Land Cruisers, um, the, the 40 Series Land Cruiser. And for you folks that own 40s that listen to the podcast, please don't shoot me if I if I mangle some of this up. We we tried to to stress earlier in the conversation that that this is going to be a very broad overview. But um, the the early 40 Series Land Cruiser up until 1975, I believe, uh, were were only offered with drum brakes front and rear. And Rich and I haven't discussed so much the difference between drum and disc uh, brakes and that kind of stuff. But drum brakes used to be the norm on, on all vehicles. And w- without getting too deep into it, um, in the mid-70s, auto manufacturers kind of uh, started moving more and more towards disc brakes, um, at least on the front, because they are a, a far more efficient, far uh, far superior brake system to uh, to drum brakes, and especially on an off-road vehicle, um, drum brakes tend to collect mud and dirt and, and that kind of stuff, where a, a disc brake uh, doesn't have a, a cavity to, to, to trap that kind of stuff. Um, Rich, I don't think, do, do we need to get into that or, or just, just keep moving? Um the only thing I'll throw in, uh, and this is really uh, pointed more at the, um, the the newer folks, is most of the newer Toyotas uh, parking brake systems, which are contained in the rear hubs, are a drum brake system. So um, you're not getting away that easy. You're going to have to learn about drum brakes at some point. Right, right. Um but that that that's just the parking brake side. That's not uh, that that is the parking brake side, right? And uh, the only reason I draw attention to it is because you're talking about drum brakes. It's important to understand. A lot of people may say, "Well, we don't have drum brakes, so I'm not going to pay attention to any of this info." You should because you do have a form of drum brake on your vehicle, probably. Right. Well, moving moving into the forty side forty side of things, if you if you have an early early Land Cruiser pre nineteen seventy six Land Cruiser uh, or forty series, pardon me, um, and, and you want to add disc brakes to the front, um, there there are a, a lot of different ways that you can go about doing that. Um, most uh, obviously, you can you can find the parts off of a a, a later model forty. Um, now from, from my understanding and the research that I did and, and a few people that I've talked to, uh, you do have to be, be careful because there are differences in the axles and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and the outer, uh, the outer hubs, um, you have to, you have to make sure that you have all the right parts. This is where we're doing some, some Google searching comes in, but, uh, you can, you can adapt the, the disc brakes off a later model 40 series onto an, an, an early 40 and have disc brakes on the front on top of that, or to add to that, um, with, with the right parts involved and, and that sort of thing, you can also use the, uh, the disc brakes often in early mini truck solid axles. So a, a 
79 model to 84 model mini truck uh, solid axle parts can also be adapted to a to a 40 series axle and uh, you can uh, can add disc brakes to a to a 40 that way um, and have a a huge huge improvement in in brake performance um, just uh, just getting away from from drum brakes on all four corners Now, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be devil's advocate, and I'm going to say, what is the advantage of disc brake over drum brake? Do you want to get into that? Well, that, that's what I was asking earlier, and, and, and maybe, we, maybe we should a little bit. Um, do, do you want to run with that real quick? Um, drum brakes suck, and uh, disc brakes are good. Well, I, I think we may. Would you like something we, a little more technical? We may, we may, may need to add to that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, drum brakes, uh, you know, I've had limited contact with them over the years. I, I grew up working on, you know, on a family member's Chevy uh, pickup where it was drum brakes. And that I got, you know, my my training and realization that I never want to work with drum brakes. They, you know, do work. They are hydraulic in most cases. There are mechanical drum brakes, but I don't, I don't think any land cruisers have that. Do they? Maybe, maybe the 1950s or sixties ones do. Right. But, uh, for the most part, um, they act, you know, with a hydraulic piston that moves a good deal of, uh, mechanical and, uh, mechanical hardware to, you know, push the shoes out to, to break the vehicle. So, uh, because there's a good deal of mechanical parts, which are springs and, and lever, you know, things designed to work as levers, uh, and stuff like that. Um, they can be noisier. There's a lot more parts. Uh, they're more susceptible to, you know, corrosion over time, you know, spring can just rot. I don't know if you've ever run into that, Jason, but, um, you know, they'll, they'll just go. So they can be, a lot of people get intimidated by them and they're not, they, there's more parts, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're harder, you know, or, or more challenging to work on. They certainly are if you don't know what you're doing, but, uh, once you get acquainted with them, they're, they're really not so bad. Um, now does that mean I enjoy working on them? No, I, I, curse and swear a lot and sometimes have to take it all apart and put it back together but that's lack of experience it's just not something i have to do every day um but the the the, the difference in breaking is i i, I think you get uh a, you, i think you get a little more surface area out of drum brakes don't you i think you actually get more surface contact than with pads but the it's not a complete contact right only a part of the pad contacts right the, the rotor right um they can certainly be noisier um they they don't they're not as efficient in terms of braking they they don't stop the the uh you know drum as as fast as a a caliper clamping on on a uh rotor does um you know the 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 drum brakes push the shoes outward on the inside of the drum and so those are your two surface contact points whereas a caliper squeezing a rotor you've, you've got even contact on both sides um so, and and uh, it's spread out over over a larger region so so right there you know you can see that clamping motion is um not only more you know surface contact there but it's more pressure um, you know, it's, I think it's definitely higher pressure lines involved and, in and, uh, uh, things like that. So, um, all things to consider, um, 
I, I think for just reliability, um, power, especially with bigger tires and things like that, I think um, calipers are going to win. I mean, you don't see anyone converting, um, you know, caliper brakes back to drum. That's for sure, unless they're doing a resto. One of the uh, one of the huge advantages to to uh, disc brakes over drum brakes is you will you'll hear the term with drum brakes um auto adjusting drum brakes and for a very rudimentary idea of self-adjusting that yes they they self-adjust but uh drum brakes take there's a there's a certain amount of maintenance involved in just keeping them functioning and keeping them adjusted <clears throat> is uh is one of those one of those things with disc brakes disc brakes um with with the rotor and caliper are by nature self-adjusting um as as the pad wears down the the caliper simply moves uh the 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 piston forces the caliper to move or or the pistons themselves move into a position to accommodate for wear so there there is no uh absolutely no adjustment needed um it, it doesn't mean they're maintenance free it just means that that you don't have that uh that almost constant having to uh having to adjust uh, a a uh, a disc brake uh design a, a lot of um shoe brakes or drum brakes were um self-adjusting back in the day uh, and it was it was common if there was uh, rear drum brakes on something that, um, you know, when you drove in reverse, they would sort of self-adjust. And if, if they ever felt out of adjustments, you just had to drive in reverse a little bit. Um, I haven't had too much firsthand experience with that. But just the notion of having one less thing to do on a brake system is pretty nice. Well, in in, in theory, they they you know the backing up and tapping <laughs> right, it was working tap, tapping the brakes they would adjust up as a general rule that that never did work uh, quite the way that that it was advertised to work that's why that's why I said it, it they, they they you have to stay on top of drum brakes um, speaking for myself with my with my uh, my forerunner you know adjusting the brakes is a a uh, it's part of prepping for every trail ride. You know, they crawl underneath it and adjust rear brakes just because they are forever out of adjustment. It it just goes without saying that they they won't stay adjusted. So, but uh, it, it, that that's a brief overview between the difference between disc brakes and 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 drum brakes. And you know, doing a doing a disc disc brake upgrade is just a um, it's a huge huge benefit. Um, we're not just saying that auto manu auto manufacturers have have been saying that to the point of eventually going to you know four wheel disc brakes on most all modern vehicles. So, uh, and and it's worth noting, you know, we're not ASE certified mechanics. We don't have experience with every Land Cruiser brake system. Uh, you know, our goal here is, is I think most of you listeners that have drum brakes on an old Land Cruiser could probably sit down, sit us down, and school us pretty well. And and honestly, I think that would be a ton of fun. Um, you know, to 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 learn about this stuff some more. Um, so we're by no means preaching to the choir, and and you know, trying to, but we we are trying to point people who are 
who are just getting into this or, or somewhat newer at it, um, you know, to learning about how the different systems work and, and uh, you know, how to how to learn more about it. Right. Right. Well, moving on into another popular model of of Land Cruiser would be the 60 series Land Cruiser. And for for the listeners that own 60 series Land Cruisers, I apologize, folks. Um, I I promise you I did research this and I couldn't find any common uh, common upgrades to uh, to the brakes on a on a 60 series. If there is something out there that that works works well for for using factory parts and that kind of stuff staying within the the theme of what we're trying to uh trying to get across here if we can stay out of the out of the rabbit holes um <clears throat> pardon me uh let us know because I, I i i did look around quite a bit and I, and i just couldn't find anything uh like i said anything common for for a, a break upgrade for for the 60s um but m- moving into the '80s, Rich, the '80 series Land Cruiser, Rich, you you said you you had come across some stuff for that. Is that right? Um, really, all I found was uh, that people were putting 100 series brake parts on them. I didn't dig too much into it because I figured someone with an 80 series um, should probably research this themselves rather than have me try and educate them. But uh, I did see some articles on I Hate Mud about um, 100 series parts going into the 80s. Yeah. Okay. Well, I. I we're, we'll, we'll switch gears a little bit in in brands uh, slightly and talk about uh, talk about early mini trucks and forerunners. Um, uh, my my eighty six uh, forerunner. I, I did what is what is commonly referred to as the dual diaphragm alif- uh, upgrade and the uh, the V six brake upgrade. Um, why why Toyota did this? I guess to to a certain extent I understand, but it would have made more sense to me to have, have just carried everything across across the board. But uh, on on these earlier mini trucks and forerunners and that kind of stuff, um, the uh, the V six versions of of these trucks. If you have a have a four cylinder version, uh, Toyota gave you a a a uh, small bore master cylinder and small small bore. Uh, calipers on the front um if you have a a v6 then then you got a slightly larger bore in the master cylinder and a slightly larger bore in the uh in the uh, brake calipers the uh the rotors were also upgraded to to compensate for that and uh all of that stuff is is interchangeable onto a four-cylinder mini trucker or forerunner and speaking from experience, it makes a huge difference. Um, you, you, a person wouldn't think that a, a, a few millimeter bigger uh, uh, bore in a, in a master cylinder and a few millimeter bore, bigger bore in, in, in brake calipers would make a huge difference. But uh, it, it made a world of difference on my, on my 86. Um, it, it is a super cheap upgrade to do. Um, if uh, if you got a buddy parting out a, a, a you know a V6 truck or or Forerunner or 
or whatever the case is. Uh, most people don't see brake parts as, as being a, a highly valuable part, not like a transmission or a transmission a transfer case or, or something along those lines. So you, you can you can grab this stuff relatively cheap or, or like Rich said early on, you know, you can buy this stuff new or, or remanufactured it at uh, most uh, most big box um, uh Part stores. the The thing that I would I would be leery about with that is the the uh, big box stores when they when they take a, a caliper or master cylinder in as a core, they don't uh, they don't care whether it came off a V six or a uh, or a four cylinder. So they rebuild them, sho- shove them in a box. They know that they will fit either Toyota and uh, or or either model. Pardon me. And uh, they ship them back out, meaning that you may think that they have started listing the same part number for both vehicles. And uh, so you got to be got to be careful with that. You you may think that you're getting V6 uh, parts and uh, just be getting be getting the four cylinder stuff. So if you want to make 100 percent sure you're getting getting what you think you're getting, go to uh, go directly to Toyota or, or or find them in a. You know, find them in a salvage yard and that, that, that kind of stuff. And and calipers can be be cleaned up, and and uh, if you trust yourself to do it, they can be rebuilt and, and that sort of thing for uh, for that kind of upgrade. Um, I had also mentioned that that I did what is called the dual diaphragm swap, and that is uh, on on modern vehicles, especially with disc brakes, they added what what. Uh, is is referred to as power brakes and um, again very very basic description they use engine vacuum over a large diaphragm to to amplify pressure through the brake system it takes less pressure from your foot to add more pressure to to the hydraulic part of the brake system through this this large vacuum diaphragm um, most all modern vehicles uh, have something along along those lines um but the uh the the mini trucks and and forerunners just used a single diaphragm which which worked it 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 does the job but the the dual diaphragm adds that much more surface area to the uh to the vacuum diaphragm which adds that much more pressure and uh in turn just makes for a a much firmer much more solid brake feel um these uh these dual diaphragm uh uh vacuum accumulators or vacuum boosters pardon me um they're they're somewhat of a rarity they use them on the uh on the turbo forerunners and turbo mini trucks uh if i'm not mistaken some of the later model second gen forerunners uh 94 95 i believe use them don't quote me on that and uh the uh the toyota t100 pickup used a a dual diaphragm uh uh vacuum booster and this stuff is all direct bolt-on folks just uh uh, unbolt yours and and get it out of the way and and the new one bolts on and and uh fits um some of it does take up a little more real estate the uh the dual diaphragm booster is it is a little bit bigger and you may have to move some stuff around to uh to get it to fit but it's it's not a huge challenge and it makes a uh makes a huge difference in brake performance and what happens um if something happens to the engine vacuum 
is is that a huge problem for a system like that? Uh, it, it doesn't. It it wouldn't be any different than any other any other vehicle. Yeah, when when you have a vacuum booster for for your brakes, um, and and the engine is not running, I'm sure anybody that that has driven a vehicle has experienced this on some level. The, the The pedal is extremely hard, and that it's because the brake system is relying on that that vacuum booster to boost that brake pressure to to apply your brakes. Um, so yeah, the, this this particular upgrade only only helps if you have a a uh, running engine. Well, you know, hopefully, if you don't have a running engine, you don't have to worry about stopping quite as much. <laughs> you know, though, a, 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 a cousin of mine years ago, when we were we, we were young lads, uh, imparted some advice to me that has stuck with me for for years. Uh, he told me way back in the day that that uh, there are more than ample ways to get get a vehicle moving push it down a hill pull it with a rope uh you know there there are there are multiple ways to get one moving there are only a handful of ways to get one to stop and by far the best way is with the brakes um because the others involve running into stuff and you know uh the others are harder more abrupt right generally right so so uh his theory was you know brakes are the most important part of part of a vehicle and that uh that is always always kind of rung true with me so (laughs) that reminds me of i I had an, an old italian relative who his his uh, theory was if you don't ever do anything, nothing will ever go wrong. <laughs> yes, you yes. just made me think of that. <laughs> All right, all righty. <laughs> well, <clears throat> is that still sinking in for you? <laughs> no, no, because I've said exactly the same thing. So Have you, I, you probably told your son yeah. that. <laughs> Moving, moving on before we jump jump down another rabbit hole. Um, there are some great uh, great up, brake upgrades for uh, for moving into say uh, the the third gen Forerunner and, and first gen Tacoma. Um, one of the super popular uh, upgrades for that is what is what's called the uh, the Tundra brake swap. Um, it simply involves getting a set of calipers and rotors off a first gen uh first gen tundra pickup um i I apologize folks there is a specific part number for those calipers they use two different ones and there are ample sources to find find those part numbers online i know um just the other day i was i was looking on yoda tech and in the uh in the third gen forerunner uh first gen tacoma section of yoda tech there is actually a a sticky at the uh at the top of that 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 thread page um specifically discussing the uh the tundra break upgrade uh swap and what parts are are required and that that sort of thing but uh that if if you've had a a third third gen forerunner first gen tacoma you know one of the most common uh hair pulling uh, parts of owning one of those is keeping rotors on the front for whatever reason the the stock uh forerunner rotors just do not they, they will not hold up they are notorious for warping which gives you a pulsey brake pedal and shaky steering when you touch the brakes and that kind of stuff and doing the uh 
doing the Tundra upgrade eliminates that. It uh, it makes a huge difference. So even if you're you're just looking at doing just a basic brake job, it doesn't cost that much more to uh, to do this to do this upgrade, and you're already two thirds of the way into it just to to do brake pads. So uh, something you might wanna might wanna look at if you own own one of those one of those vehicles. And Rich, I've been talking to the point I'm nearly hoarse, so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to you from here. Even if we just have to <laughs> jump ahead series, just a little bit. Uh, where do we on? Are we are we up to IFS yet? Oh oh yeah, uh, you know. Have, have we surpassed IFS? What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, largely what we're seeing on the the newer IFS uh, in terms of brake upgrades is um, finding parts from some other more advanced or, or later model, uh, later series IFS, and bolting it on. Um, centric to the 120 series, it's, it seems as though everyone's... Um, you know, looking for the vehicles with the bigger engines tending to have the bigger brakes. That's that's how Toyota does it. Whether or not it makes sense, you know, I would think you would go by weight or the weight people are expected to put into things. But on the 120 series vehicles, we're seeing people take stuff from the V8 120 series and put them on the V6 uh, 120 series. So, you know, people putting GX 470 and V8 Forerunner brakes on uh, Tacomas, FJ Cruisers, things like that. There's also um, mods where people are taking Tundra parts and putting them on 120 series. Um, the, the biggest caveat I've seen to doing that um, is that you 17 inch wheels are pretty much required. People have done it with 16 inch and grinding material off the calipers. Um, that to me doesn't seem like an option personally that I would go with, but I think you know, if that's okay, depends how much you're shaving off, you know, but, um, they make that metal a thickness for a reason. That's, that's my thinking. And, you know, why would you want to start thinning it out on something that could save yourself or, uh, you know, save, save yourself a lot of money and personal injury or the injury is someone else. Um, I've never heard of a brake caliper bursting apart because someone grounded it too thin of you, Jason. Um, yes. You have, you've heard, you, really, that's a, so that is a thing. People I've, have pushed it that far. I've done it myself Yo. Um, in, in my younger days. So yes, okay. it, right. it, it can happen. So did it, did it burst or did it just start leaking? Uh, it blew the seals out. I, I got where, where the, the, uh, the caliper is actually bolted together. There's a, a seal in there and I got close enough to that seal that it, uh, it blew the, blew the seal out. Made a big mess, I guess. Yes. Yep. Um, so that said, you know, if, if, but, it, but, it, but it's also something that I think, at least when I think it out in my head of doing a job like this, that you're increasing the, um, rotor, you're putting a larger caliper on, um, it just would make sense to me that at some point you have to think about what, what your wheels are and, and if you, there's going to be contact. So um, generally all the big brake upgrades, right, for these IFS are, are going to be 17-inch wheels required. Um, and uh, that, that, that seems reasonable. You know, I, I, those vehicles come from the factory for the most part with 17-inch um, wheels. So that's part of the reason for that, no doubt. Um, 
<clears throat> that would also, and not not to go down a rabbit hole, but that would also point towards well, people with the 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 V8 120 series probably can't fit 16s without you know uh, working with those calipers a little bit. But who knows for sure? And and you know what? When it comes to to wheel and tire sizes, I don't even talk to people about that stuff anymore because I would have to know every every wheel and every tire and 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 it's just something that you you sort of have to educate yourself as best you can on and dive into so i think doing these off the cuff brake upgrades is the same sort of technique you have to think about uh you know the big picture and and you know what parts are all around it but um the the v8 you know uh force gx 470 and v8 forerunner um, upgrades to the the V6s uh, for Tacomas, FJ Cruisers, Forerunners. It seems like a really good option to do. Um, the one guy claims he did the whole job, uh, you know, just on the front for under four hundred dollars, and and you know, uh, for the rears, I would imagine, you know, it, it's probably, um, you know, in in the affordable range because you're really just replacing caliper. Uh, rotor and pad, which is something a lot of people have to do um, when it's break up time, uh, upgrade time anyway. Um, one of the bigger complaints I've gotten on the 120 series front calipers is is having them freeze up. I don't know. Have you heard of this too, Jason? I've, I've heard a lot of complaints about uh, the brake calipers freezing. Um, and it's happened to me before. Um, I can't, you know, when it happens up in this climate, I can't really blame Toyota or, or or anything just because everything freezes and rots up here. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a consideration. So, I, you know, to, to move to, if you have 17-inch wheels, to move to an easier bolt-on part seems like a no-brainer. You're, uh, the increases in size on the 120 series stuff seem to be minimal. Now, um, you know, people say, well, you know, I'm only getting a few more millimeters of, of brake pad um, or none none at all in some cases, um, but they're getting bigger rotors. And, and they might not necessarily realize that having the bigger rotors is actually pretty nice because you're, you're getting more, um, you know, cooling. You, you've got... Uh, less chance of warpage because you've you've got more metal to dissi dissipate heat. Um, you know, obviously braking builds up a lot of heat, so heat dissipation is a big deal. And so going to a bigger rotor only makes sense. Um, and then you can get into drilled and slotted rotors, which are also something to help with heat dissipation. Um, but that's sort of more racetrack material, and and um, there's some snake oil involved with with uh, drilled and slotted rotors. That uh, should we dig into that? Yeah, let's let's discuss that just a little bit. Yeah, since since I'm on the rabbit hole, um, there, there's a couple of different schools of thought on um, drilled and slotted rotors. I'm going to provide a video with this podcast, a video link, and you can watch it and you can draw your own conclusions. But it basically concludes that um, drilled and slotted rotors uh, are really something more for the racetrack. And I think on an off-road vehicle you're probably not going to be interested in the advantage advantages that drilled and slotted rotors offer. Um, one of the reasons for drilled rotors, now drilled rotors means they drill a bunch of holes in them, and sometimes people do this themselves. Um, 
one of the reasons for drilled rotors and slotted rotors are that when the brake pad contacts the rotor, it generates a gas. This isn't false, but it is false. <laughs> See, I just contradicted. With today's modern ceramic pads, this gas has sort of been brought under control. Modern brake pads um, have been engineered so that gases are kept to a minimum. So having a layer of gas, uh, you know, being generated and decreasing your brake power um, isn't the issue that it was, say, 20, 30 years ago. So there's a little snake oil involved. When they sell you these rotors and mark them up because they've been drilled and slotted, um, to solve a problem, you're probably never going to run into. Um, the other, there's other issues. One more is that uh, when you drill and slot a rotor, what are you doing? You're reducing the amount of metal that is in contact with your pad. So, um, you know, decreasing surface breaking area to keep the rotor cool, it, it it's kind of seems a little strange to me. You know, it's kind of, kind of seems like some kind of a strange concept, like what you know, um, it, it, it almost seems like won't you generate less heat by having to break less, you know, but, the, you know, you can hash it out in your head. There is science behind it. People have done the research and uh, lean on them because I, I, I can't uh, present all of the scientific facts. I rely on the same stuff. I, I, I look at people who have done the homework and say, you know what, this this makes a lot of sense. Another issue with drilled and slotted rotors are is mud and dirt. Um, whatever gets in them uh, is going to get on your pads. What tends to happen with mud, and I think it's regional depending on the kind of mud you have, is it fills up in the in the uh, in the vents. I, I, I've knocked I knock mud out of my rotor vents uh, every time I take a wheel off. Um, now, the rotor vents being those slots that are, you know, around the circumference of the, the rotor, around the outside. Um, once they get clogged, obviously, <clears throat> airflow is reduced inside them. So, you know, uh, well, the same thing's going to happen with drilled and slotted rotors. That's going to fill up with mud. The heat of braking is going to bake the mud in there, and it's going to act abrasive against the brake pad and, and wear them out quicker. Um, there are people who say that drilled and slotted rotors also increase pad wear, even without the mud inside them, uh, and tend to make more brake dust. Um, generally, not a, you know you don't see too many uh, off-road guys you know really concerned about brake dust and, and cleaning it off their fancy wheels, but some do. Some people care about that, and there's nothing wrong with it, but it's something to consider. Um, I think if you're a street-only vehicle and you like to have and you and you just believe that the slotted and drilled rotors are are going to help you, um, <clears throat> that's fine. That's your business. No one's picking on you. Um, but there are plenty of us out here who just believe that that's complete snake oil. It doesn't really help you, and if anything, in an off-road situation, it's going to hurt you. So. Um, <clears throat> I would just rather have good old flat rotor, you know, that I can hose off and bang the mud out of the vents and, and, and keep going, um, and, and change my pads a little, little, you know, less often. Um, but the last 
so we sort of went on a rabbit hole, drilled drill and slotted rotors there and, and the advantages and disadvantages. Um, again, it's a racetrack thing. So, you know, do that if you want. The options out there for increasing the, uh, the, the caliper size, the pad size and the rotor size are the ones if you're running big tires, those are the ones you're going to feel. You're going to feel it in the pedal. It's going to do more for you. Um, so these are something to, to, to consider. Now, with the more modern traction control systems like A-Track um, that actually pump the brakes, one thing I don't know, and this is sort of me, you know, asking a question and and trying to take guesses and come up with ideas. Uh, I'd be interested to hear what our listeners think about this one is when you increase the size of the caliper, obviously, you know, more fluid is in there. Um, is the traction control system still going to work the same way because it's geared for a certain pressure and a certain amount of fluid, you know, to be moved to activate the, that system in, in working? You know, will it matter at all? Am I overthinking it? Or is that something that would come into play? I mean, I would think that it would have some sort of influence on how well that traction control system worked you know maybe it would because of the larger brakes and things you know it would work differently better or worse who knows i i i don't know um and i'm pretty positive no one's done the homework on it maybe someone has if they have i would love to check that out because uh it's interesting to me i have that system in my vehicle um so but it is something to consider that anything you do to the brakes is if you love your a track or you love your traction control and your vsc and and all that stuff it is something to consider you know you're working with the brakes it is going to affect that system somehow or maybe not but you can be the guinea pig and get back to us and let us know um the last thing I'll throw on the table is, as I was doing the research, one of the uh, brake upgrade options for the 120 series is the famous TRD big brake kit, which uh, Toyota makes. It is uh, some TRD branded calipers. They're, they're big, big calipers, big rotors. They come with steel brake lines. The whole kit comes in at a whopping $2,300. Uh, to upgrade your your front 120 series brakes uh, to the TRD big brake kit, and it is nice looking. I mean, it's it's a nice red caliper with TRD on it. Um, but I think you could, uh, you know, as as Google will show you, see that people have taken the uh, V8 120 series parts, painted the caliper red, put a TRD sticker on it, and got basically the same effect. <laughs> so. Um, I, th I think there's there's pretty well documented information out there. So if you have a 120 series or even a 100 or a 150 series IFS, you know, grab your Google, get get to work. I think you will find some very affordable options for upgrading brakes. Absolutely. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, one other thing that I, I, I want to reach into a little bit is, you know, we've we've talked a lot about uh, factory bolt-on parts and, and uh, you know, just just using things that, that Toyota did from the factory to, to upgrade parts. But uh, just kind of the last thing that, that I want to get into a little bit is there are a plethora of options 
in the aftermarket um, from rear disc brake conversions to like Rich discussed, just uh, upgraded uh, calipers and rotors and, and, and that kind of stuff. And this all all plays together. Um, you know, one one of the big hangups with, with doing a re- rear disc conversion on, on some of the early mini trucks and forerunners and that kind of stuff, even even third gen forerunners is, you know, the, the lack of, of having a mechanical parking brake and that kind of stuff. And, and even with that kind of stuff, there are, are great companies out there like uh, uh, Front Range Off-Road. Um, when we, we had uh, Brian on the show, he di- he discussed that they're, they're developing, you know, um, uh, kits and stuff to to add the the new droder uh, style uh, caliper or, or rotors and that kind of stuff to uh, to the rear axle on on some of these older trucks. So uh, I, I just want to throw that in there that that if you're wanting to upgrade in that way, that there are definitely options out there. If you just just search around a little bit, there's there's great people working to. Uh, to make those kind of upgrades available as well. And, and often those, those upgrades are very affordable. Well, you know, like, like we, we said a little while ago, in, in my opinion, brakes are, are one of the most important components on, on any vehicle and being able to get it stopped safely. And, and that kind of stuff is, uh, is super important and something that I think a lot of people overlook. And, and one reason why why I wanted to uh, why I wanted to di- to discuss this, you know, on the show is I think a lot of people overlook, uh, you know, how important just how important the brakes are and how much other things that we do to a vehicle alter um, how the factory brakes work. Um, the, the factory brakes were not designed to stop the rotating mass of larger tires. They're, they're designed to stop the, the, the tires that, that came on that vehicle. Uh, factory brakes are not designed, uh, to, to, uh, stop a vehicle that's, that's loaded down with armor that we all add to our, to our off-road trucks and that kind of stuff. So to, to me, you know, a, a brake upgrade of some sort, uh, to get, to get the brakes to work um, with with a vehicle in its current state, are, are that's a super important thing. Absolutely, and and I would like to throw in, and and I know this sounds kind of like mommy and daddy talking to you, but you're working on your brakes. You know, be safe, do your homework, be careful. You know, working on this stuff um, because you know you can put yourself in a in. A, crappy situation or and and even worse hurt someone else i don't we don't want to hear about anyone hurt and you know we talk about upgrading your brakes i know a bunch of you are going to run out and start you know researching what parts will work and stuff you know please be safe and if you do this yourself do a good job make sure (laughs) make sure your stuff is tight you know make sure you've got the proper wrenches to to take your brake lines apart and so that you're not rounding nuts off and cross-threading stuff because it's super easy to do with brake line stuff. Uh, I think I probably do it every time I touch a brake line. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like I, I hate to be the fun police, but, you know, we don't want to talk about this stuff and then see anybody, you know, hurt themselves or, or wreck their truck or something. Be careful, do your homework, and, and learn about these systems thoroughly because your life does depend on them. Absolutely. And, and like we've said many times throughout the conversation, just in, in kind of wrapping up here, um, 
we, we've done at the very best a a very brief overview of this stuff. There is there is tons of information out there. Um, I wanted to do this just to kind of get it in people's minds to uh, to possibly start researching it on their own and and find out what uh, what exactly what setup is going to work best for them and and how to. Uh, how to go about accomplish, accomplishing that is uh, is kind of up, up, up to you to, to decide. Um, you know, just do, like Rich said, do your research, make sure that you're you're doing things properly and that kind of stuff, and and uh, get uh, get your Toyota to stop the way that it it needs to. Absolutely, and and I think a lot of people uh, to. Uh, well, one of the things we've talked about on past podcasts is learning how to research this stuff is a skill in itself. And um, by attempting to research something, you learn the magic words to tell the search engines so you can find what you want a lot easier. Uh, one of the biggest things is uh, I see uh, on automotive forums is people don't know how to spell the word brakes. The word brakes is spelled B-R-A-K-E-S, not the, the incorrect spelling of brakes is B-R-E-A-K-S. Just wanted to throw that out there. Do we need to take a break or are we talking about brakes? I don't want to see anyone B-R-E-A-K their vehicle or their face when working on their B-R-A-K-E-S. Brakes. This is awesome, man. We started out as the, uh, <laughs> now, spelling the, the, the Mother Nature podcast, and now, now we're teaching people how, you know, prop, proper grammar. We're, we're on a roll, buddy. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. That's one of my pet peeves, and it, it could be, you know, uh, it, it could be the degree in English writing that I have, but <laughs> it is one of my pet peeves. People will come on and, and ask for information about their breaks and, and, and say, well, you know, you want to be a smart aleck and say, well, you know, most people get 15 minutes for their break, but, you know, some of the higher paid individuals get 30. Right. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it is one of those. It's probably I'm sure it's it's one of those things that uh, you've noticed, but you've never said anything about. Right. Well, it, folks, we're just trying to uh, to get you to to uh, help us help you. Um you know, not 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 being not trying to be sarcastic or, or anything of the sort, but uh, just uh, help us help us help you. That's right. When you spell the word breaks wrong, you put the focus, you remove the focus from your the problem you're actually trying to get solved to the fact that you're illiterate. Right. Well, with that, with that said, before we before we offend anyone else, Rich, do, you, do, we, do we have anything else that we want to add to the, to, this, to, to this topic? No, no, we're all in good fun. We're just joking around. It's just a joke. Everyone relax. No, I think we've we've pretty much covered it, and and hopefully we've encouraged some people to go out there, do their homework, not be afraid of their brake systems, learn how they work, and uh, hopefully uh, walk out with some cool upgrades to show us all. Absolutely. And, and if uh, if you guys know of any any uh, upgrades and that kind of stuff that we didn't directly discuss, feel free to reach out to us and let us know. I, I'm 
I enjoy learning about this kind of stuff, and and uh, I, I did as, as as much research as I had time to do for this for this episode. But uh, I'm sure that there there's things that I missed. So if uh, if you have any any details that you'd like to share with us, let us know, and we'll we'll discuss it in another in another episode. Yeah, absolutely. I think increasing the knowledge pool and and getting this info out there will be helpful to a lot of people. For sure. All righty. Well, moving on, Rich. Um, we've had some kind of exciting things happen around the uh, around the old podcast here, and and we've gotten a, a ton of feedback for that. Um, let's uh, let's talk about that for for just a minute here. Yeah, um, we released our new logo, uh, which you can check out on our website or Facebook or Instagram uh, on social media. Uh, but we're, we're really proud of it. Uh, the artist that we hired to do it, uh, whose name is Vince Peterson of Vince Peterson Design. Um, and there's more than one Vince Peterson Design out there, which uh, so we want to make sure you get the right one. So watch for a link and the podcast post. Super cool guy to work with. He is a uh, FJ Cruiser owner. Um, so don't hold it against him. But, um, <laughs> but uh, he really... I have to say that I think he really got what we were trying to get across to everybody. And the, the response from the community has just been outstanding. Everybody loves the new logo. We, we tried really hard to get every kind of land cruiser in there. Uh, obviously, you know, we had to cut some corners. We only got six different, um, types in there. Um, but you know, we, we wanted to make sure that you could see the 40 series all the way up to the newest, you know, forerunners, which is, is current. And I guess when Toyota comes out with more new models, we'll have to, we'll have to get a new logo made, but, uh, we really tried to show that, you know, we're out there for, for everybody. And, um, so we, we've, we've got a good base to start off of, and we've got versions of the logo that are ready to roll out for t-shirts, stickers, and patches, uh, and some other goodies. Uh, I, I know the ladies out there have uh, shown that they're very interested in getting some Toyota Trucks and Trails podcast panties. I, I, I don't know whether they would have been interested in that or not, whether had you not brought it up. But, uh, yes, that that topic seems to listen, have exploded listen, for no, some reason. You, you, you have to be a leader. You have to hold the panties up and, and it will every you will have everyone's attention. OK, when someone stands above the crowd and holds up a pair of panties, all eyes are on that. Person. I, I, I got you. I got you. <laughs> and uh, so um, but I but I, I think that would be a really cool novelty. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we've joked around quite a bit about this uh online uh but you know when when we get some panties made um uh, we want to just apologize to the community that jason and i will not be available for free installation of those goods correct <laughs> very very correct so you know we i mean we joked around a little bit about that but but no that is not an, an available option you will have to self-install the the panties or you will have to get a friend or loved one to help you so 
Um, you know, sorry, that is the hard reality. But the uh, I, hard reality was not. Oof, boy, we should just. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, um, <clears throat> so we'll we'll have that coming out, and we're looking at some other goods, and and you know we'd like some actually appreciate uh, feedback on this if you want to see coffee cups or you know honestly we we're trying to come up with some different ideas everybody's got a can koozie and everybody's got a coffee mug and you know maybe maybe hats and t-shirts and and girls panties are cool maybe guys boxer shorts um you know things like that would be fun um but we'd like to get away from the beaten path of you know the typical old beer koozie and and stuff like that i i don't know about you jason but i have a collection of beer koozies from uh, off-road makers and it's cool to have you know what i actually do is i i put my uh beer bottles and uh, soda bottles in in the koozies and put them in my fridge so that when i'm driving the bottles don't rattle and then when you go to pull out a drink you know they you've already got a koozie on it uh, but i've just got such a collection of these things and um you know I, I, do, I just think that it's the kind of thing where maybe we we should try and do something a little different yeah we're <clears throat> pardon me we're definitely uh Definitely going to look into that kind of stuff and, and some, some feedback from the listeners on, on stuff that they would like to see. Well, we will definitely take that into consideration as well. So, yep. And, and trust us, we are not forgetting patches. I think the patches are probably the number one thing you're all interested in. And, and I think even people who don't listen to the podcast will want the patch because it's a really great looking logo. So, um, you know, that said, um, you know, trust us. We we are on top of that. We're going to make sure we even have extra patches. And if you catch us at events, you may be able to get a patch for nothing. So maybe, maybe we might we might have to we might have to, you know, make you do a stupid human trick. But, you know, we'll, we'll try and take care of you as best we can. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that. I mean, we're pretty, pretty happy. We, we loved working with Vince on this. He was super easy to work with and he really got it. I, I say that in quotation marks, but he really got what we were, what we were going for. I, do you agree, Jason? Uh, pardon me. Absolutely. One, 100%. Yeah. And, and it's, it's tough to have that connection, you know, when you want to get a logo done for a business or something like that. And of course, you know, you've got your brother's uncle's cousin who owns Microsoft paint and he wants to give it a shot and stuff. So working with a professional designer, Vince works, actually, he works for Disney and he designs stuff for Disney. So he is a top tier artist. And, and this, this logo really reflects that in my opinion. Um, so, you know, we're just super happy to finally have this chapter over with. Um, we've we've been trying to get the, the logo done for, for months and months. and We had some ups and some downs. Um, so now we're going to get those goods into production. We're going to get them to you guys and girls. And, uh, you know, we're we're just super proud, super happy about this. So thank you to Vince from Vince Peterson Design. Uh, great job. And, of course, we're going to get Vince a nice little goodie package of all this stuff together and get that out to him. Abs, pardon me. Absolutely, Vince. I don't know whether Vince listens to the podcast or not, but if you do, thank you so much for for your hard work and, and quick response and, and uh, taking uh, – Rich and I, Rich and myself's idea, um, and, and uh, 
making making it a, a reality and uh, something that, that I'm super proud of and, and look forward to uh, to having associated with the podcast for for a long time to come. So that's, you know, that, and that was a, that's our big, like, I think our biggest news story this week. I mean, we're, at least it's a big deal to us. <laughs> right. And, and if the listeners aren't, you know, if you don't think it's a big deal, we apologize, but it's, uh, we're, we're excited about it. So, uh, the, the newness will wear off at some point and we'll, we'll quit discussing it, but look, yeah. uh, like Rich said, look forward to, uh, to some new swag coming and, and, uh, that kind of stuff We're we're looking forward to getting all this stuff rolled out and getting it moving and, and, uh, seeing, seeing listeners, uh, consume some of this stuff and, and, uh, using it to, uh, to spread the word about what we're doing. So now, um, What's what do we have next on our plate here? Do we have something for community spotlight? We we have uh, somewhat of an announcement and community spotlight at the same time. Um, do you want to run with it or you want me to? Um, you run with this one and then I've got some stuff to throw in. Too, okay. So we'll just. All right. Well, we Rich and I have briefly discussed on the podcast before that we were going to try to. Uh, to make it out to some different events this year and and one of those events that i I believe at some point we mentioned by name is uh the uh lone star uh jamboree in texas and it it is 100 percent definitive that at least i will be there um rich i'm pretty sure that you're you're planning on making the trip as well is that right plan on making the trip and um there's there's rumors that uh, amy may be taking the lexus down there very cool very cool. just a rumor just a rumor unconfirmed well um folks the 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 guys down at at uh, the organizers of of uh, lone star jamboree i've been been talking to them quite a bit behind the scenes and and dealing with them and they're they're super excited that we're coming down and and we're super excited to be there um so we're we are going to be doing as much podcast related stuff while we're there as as we can possibly cram into a couple of days, uh, right along with uh, with getting some wheeling in in Texas and and that sort of thing. But uh, one we want to want to promote the event. They they've got registration open here in the the last week or so, and and things are are up and rolling for them. So if you've been uh, been looking for an event to get to, um, this is. This will be my first time of being there, but I've read enough about the event and, and paid attention to it enough over the years to know that it is is definitely uh, has been a bucket list event for me to to get to. So I'm really looking forward to getting down there um, and uh, being a part of it. And if you're going to be there, uh, make sure and look us up and, and stop by and say, hey, and, and like Rich said, hopefully we'll have uh, have swag and stuff ready, ready to go by that time. So um we just want it to uh, to be a, a, a community thing where where we're there and and y'all are there and we can just mingle and wheel and and have a great weekend. Absolutely, and the, the hospitality and the and the the welcoming uh, from the uh, Texas community down there for for us to come down has just been outstanding. I mean. Um, Everything from friends offering places to stay to people offering to to give us a beer while we're down there and and hang out and meet us. Wow. I mean, so cool. Southern hospitality times 10. It's Texas hospitality. So um, 
you know, and it, it isn't my first visit to Texas, but it will be uh, probably a a very nice revisit to Texas. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I want to do my best to get down there. It's it's on my radar. It's in my plans. Um, so you know, basically, other other than a catastrophic failure, uh, I'm I'm planning on being there. Well, we <clears throat> pardon me. We'll be talking about it more as as time gets closer and uh, be discussing, you know, some of uh, some of what we here at the podcast have have planned to do while we're there and and you know uh, coordinating with uh with the organizers down there making sure that everything is gonna gonna work the the the, the way we want it to but we're going to uh we're going to try to help them out as much as we can and and try to uh try to give the podcast a presence at the event so uh so look forward to that Absolutely. Um, and there's a bunch of other events coming up. Um, I'm going to pull up some dates for you here. Um, believe what it, do you have anything? I know the FJ Northeasters run, which is, is, uh, I don't want to say my club, but the, the club I've been president for, for the last, uh, four years, I actually, uh, there's a new president now. I, have been so busy. I haven't been able to, uh, put what I, what I, you know, what the club deserves into it, um, this year. And I'd actually been looking, you know, after four years of doing it, I, I figured, you know, let's, let's get some new blood in there and give another guy a chance. Um, so, you know, after, you know, talking with many members, we, we did find a new president and that's, that's Bob Rilling, who's been a member of the club since 2008 and sort of in cl internal club business that no one really, you know, um, probably cares about, but, uh, it is interesting because, you know, new president, uh, 11th year of that event. So, uh, you know, super cool that, uh, it, it's, it's going to be, you know, some, some new blood running the event this year and it'll be worth visiting. Uh, and that's in, uh, going to happen on, get you a date uh april 25th to april 29th and that's going to be at two parks it's going to be at roush creek off-road park and anthracite off-road adventure area i had to think about that so i got that right so it's going to be at, at two different parks um in in and and it's your choice of parks you don't obviously go through two parks in one day they're they're too big for that but um you know it's kind of a cool event because you can uh register the, for for the event and then you know choose which park you want to wheel at so if you're sick of one park you can explore somewhere else new or break it up however you want kind of a cool spin on an event that i've never seen I'm sure other people have done it before, but uh, it's the first time I've ever seen anybody around here do that. So pretty cool. Uh, yep. So that's the uh, 11th annual Northeast run happening the 25th through the 29th, right? We've got uh, next up on the calendar is, and this is, this is just a little run that's out of the way. I don't think anyone's even ever heard of it before, but uh, maybe Jason, you might've heard of this run. Um, it's called the 
the Great Smoky Mountain Trail Ride. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, I, I'm a little bit familiar with it. Yeah, you have. You have. I, I hear that happens somewhere near you um, in in some place in uh, Pennsylvania. Is it? Uh, that that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it sounds right. Um, the 27th annual Great Smoky Mountain Trail Ride. 27 years, people. Come on. Why aren't more people like people should be flocking to this event from all over the country? Who who has a longer running Land Cruiser event? Uh, it's one of the oldest in the country, anyway. Uh, so, some yeah. of them out west may may have been going on a little longer, but it's it's been around for a long time. It has been around a long time. It is a staple in the Land Cruiser community, and um, I think wherever you are, it's worth getting out there to go to. And that is happening May fourteenth through nineteenth. Twenty seven years. 27 years and that is a official T TLCA Toyota Land Cruiser Association uh, event and well wait no uh, it's a official TLCA chapter is having the event right Correct. it's not an Correct. official it's not, TLCA it's not a sanctioned, sanctioned right. I'm, I'm sorry about the wording there but I think everyone gets what I mean um, uh, STLCA which is Southeast Toyota Land Cruiser Association is putting that on and uh, Jason do you know anyone in that organization I, I, I know a few of those guys yeah yeah so yeah. you know Andy and you know Andy and you know um, who's that other guy uh, Andy Andy right yeah. and uh, and then I think there's this other guy called Andy who's also in that club right? yes yes yeah yep. yeah so um, so all the Andys will probably be there right I think every Andy will be there uh, most of them most of them yeah, yes most of them will Andrew be there uh, I, I believe I, I believe his his dad is bringing Andrew. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, so anyway, Great Smoky Mountain Trail Ride, May fourteenth through nineteenth, and next up that well we have the the jamboree. What is this called? The this is the one we're going to. <laughs> we just talked about Lone Star Jamboree. Lone Star Toyota Jamboree or Lone Star Jamboree? Uh, it's Lone Star. My God, Toyota. I I apologize ladies and gentlemen it's it's tough keeping up it's tough um so and that is happening may derp, 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 derp. do you have the dates in front of you jason I'm, please bail me out of here i'm grabbing here quick <laughs> Toyota. you know event organizers you know break up these names a little bit everybody's got a roundup or a jamboree or or what i mean come on it is uh, no one. No one has an extravaganza. <laughs> Someone needs to make a Toyota extravaganza. Right. Right. I mean, I mean we could we got to break this up a little bit. We can't keep track of these events. People, Jason, May 3rd to May 6th, the Lone Star Toyota Jamboree, the 13th annual. This event is in its 13th year. A, another staple in the uh, Land Cruiser community. Get your heinies out there to Gilmer, Texas. Check it out. A lot of big names will be there. Big name sponsors, uh, big name, uh, you know, uh, aftermarket parts producers, things like that. Uh, and and a lot of people, the Texas Toyota community is huge. I've met a lot of those folks online. They're great people and very hospitable. Uh, great event to get your 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 high knee down to. So make that road trip. Get out there. 
check out the Lone Star Toyota Jamboree. That is May 3rd through 6th in Gilmer, Texas. And last but not least, I'm trying to find it. Coal Mine Cruiser Classic put on by the Gotham City Land Cruisers. And that is happening July 11th through 14th. Now, these aren't the only events going on, folks. As, as, as we get more information in, we will be talking about it and making sure you are aware of uh, all the events coming up and how to find more info on them and how to get your, your hiney over there. Um, July 11th through 14th, Coal Mine Cruiser Classic. That event has been going on for I don't know how long. Uh, if if it's been, you know, 10 plus years, I wouldn't be surprised. I think it's over that. I think they've been going on a long time. That's hosted by the Gotham City Land Cruisers, which are New York's uh, premier Toyota Land Cruiser Association chapter. Um, great guys over there. I'm a, I'm a member of that club. I, I see those guys all the time, and and uh, they're just always a good time. A lot of cool cruisers there. Um, some of the uh, older, you know, early production 40s will be out there. There's a few iron pigs that are there. You just don't see enough of those. So they've got a great collection of vehicles. And uh, if you're in the Northeast, definitely take some time to support TLCA and get out to Coal Mine Cruiser Classic. And again, that's July 11th through 14th at Roush Creek Off-Road Park in East Tremont, Pennsylvania. And that's all I've got so far. We're going to, of course, come up with more. Yeah, that, pardon me. There, there will definitely be more uh, more event discussion coming as as the uh, the season starts starts moving along. Um, one that we we didn't mention, uh, and, and I don't have the dates and stuff in front of me, is uh, Cruise Mo- Moab is coming up uh, here in the next month or so. So, uh, folks, the uh, the event season is is coming on strong. There are going to be some some fantastic events this year, and we are going to. Uh, we're going to do our best to to cover the as many of them as we can, even if it's even if it's from a distance. So, um, as always, if uh, if your your club or your group is is having a, a Toyota event and you want to uh, you want us to mention it or, or promote it a little bit for you or, or whatever, feel free to uh, feel free to reach out to us because that's that's what we're here for. So that's right. We not only want to see uh, your Toyota based event be successful, but we also want to enrich the community, you know, by getting people out to events. Events are what make the community great. Even if you're not a hardcore wheeler or, you know, maybe you're just an overlander or maybe you're just a show truck kind of person. um, It's still great to get out to the events, meet the people, see the vehicles. You get great ideas. Uh, you know, and, and there's always, you know, if you're a gear junkie, there's always plenty of cool gear to ogle over and, and purchase. So it's just great to get out to the events. The events are what make make the community. Basically, um, we all gather online and we have a lot of fun online and we you know joke around and stuff. But uh, nothing meets that face to face contact. I know that I've made some lifelong friends that I initially connected with online. And then when I finally you know decided it's you know let's check out an event it really it was really great to to meet all those people i i i met online so uh you know i can't encourage it enough you know definitely find a way to get to an event and uh you will not regret it 
for sure for sure well rich do, do you have anything else for this for this episode i think it's been a pr- pretty full uh pretty full episode pretty good episode no i've got some snow shoveling to do so um i'm actually uh you know hope this episode goes you know all day that would be fine with me because i would rather uh record podcasts than go shovel snow um for sure but, at but some, we'll run out of stuff to talk about we'll, we'll run out of really stuff to, to. to talk about and my, man, my boss will start screaming at me to get back to work at some point so. yeah me too and that show snow's not going to move itself at least not for a couple of months so all righty well let's let's wrap things up here um folks as always if you want to get in touch with us you can do so through our our website uh toyotatrucksandtrails.com you can reach out to us through facebook at facebook slash ttat podcast uh send us an email to toyotatrucksandtrails at gmail.com we are on instagram at, at toyota trucks and trails podcast um we have mentioned the YouTube channel uh, hundreds of times. We're we're getting a bunch of subscribers, and folks, I promise you, I've got uh, tons of video content that I just have to to find time to sit down and get edited together and start getting some fresh videos up there of of things that I think everybody's going to enjoy. And and uh, Rich and I have discussed it uh, in, in in the last couple of episodes. Is something that we're going to uh, we're going to start moving into a little bit more and and uh, stop uh, start offering some content in that area. So be sure and get subscribed to our our YouTube channel so when we actually start getting some videos rolled out, you don't miss anything. Um, <clears throat> another thing. Big favor that I'd like to ask of the listeners: um, share if you enjoy the podcast. Share what what we're doing here with your friends. Um, keep uh, we need you to uh, to to help get the word out. So uh, share our, our our Facebook page. Share the 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 podcast with with your your Toyota friends and and that kind of stuff. And just uh, let let people know what we're doing. So we're we're reaching as as big of an audience as as we can get to. Absolutely. Is that all you got to say about that? Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Well, you did a fine job. There's okay. nothing to, you okay. know, I can't make that I, better. Right I, okay. okay. All right. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> we have the best awkward pauses. Yes. Though. Yes, we do. Yes, <laughs> we, we do. Really, <laughs> we've really refined the awkward pause into a, into a, in, into a thing here. Um, all right. In closing up, the the, the last the, the last thing I'm going to say is, uh, please please check out our supporters. Um, the biggest one being uh, Steve and the guys at Southeast Overland. Um, they have have been an, a part of the podcast nearly from the beginning and and always stepped up to help and and in a big way and that kind of stuff. So uh, be be sure and and check those guys out. And if you do. Um, Tell them you appreciate what they do for the podcast. It it means a lot to us that they help us, and it means a lot to us that that they know that the listeners appreciate that they help us. So, uh, take a minute and and let those guys let those guys know you appreciate it. And they 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 deserve that. They they really it really keeps them going. Yes, yes. They but with rough over there. With 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 that said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to cut you off. Uh, with that said, we, we will close this one out. Look forward to, uh, to another great episode here in a couple of weeks. And, uh, Rich, if you don't have anything else, we'll, we'll call it quits. No, I'm good. Thanks for listening. All righty, folks. Uh, enjoy. 
we will we'll be back in a couple of weeks and until then however you go about it get out and enjoy your Toyota.